Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. I'm joined today by Raphael Jukobin. How are you doing, Raphael? I'm doing good, thanks. A bit disappointed with France, but looking forward to discussing the other games. Yeah, we'll move on to France in, in, in time, don't worry. And uh, Francesco Ainsbury, how are you doing, Francesco? I'm OK. I'm feeling a bit worried about Belgium, but apart from that, I'm, uh, I'm OK. Yeah, that, I mean, that's going to be an interesting one tomorrow. But first of all, we're going to look back at, at Italy's last 16 clash. They played Austria on Saturday night. I think most people expected them to get through it fairly comfortably, particularly how they, well they did in the group stage. But it was a very tricky game in the end. They came through 2-1 after extra time. Raphael, what, what did you make of the game? Italy's first real test and they just about came through it, hey? Yeah, I think we saw two sides of Italy, really. Um, you know, we saw Italy in the second half were probably at their worst that they've been so far in this tournament. They were pretty lacklustre, a lot of a lot of unforced errors, and Austria really bouncing on them on the on the break, and it almost came through with that um, with the Arnautovic goal. And then we saw a, sort of a more resurgent Italy side with a lot more spirit going back in the second half. I think. Um, Mancini's substitutions really made the difference. You know, Chiesa, I think, showed that he's really... Mancini considers him to be the uh, sort of the super sub in terms of the impact he can make on the pitch. And he's shown that that is, that is his ideal role. Um, so, yeah, I think on... In a, in, a, in a positive sense, I mean, if we're going to take away positives from the game, then it shows that Italy are, you know, the they're going to persevere, and they are they are able to adapt to to you know facing a difficult team. But obviously, there are questions to be asked about whether that that second half performance is a is you know comes back to haunt them and sort of creeps back up in the in the Belgium game because there were a lot of causes for concern in that in that sort of forty five minute spell. Yeah, when when we go through tournaments normally, you know, it's very difficult for a team to have seven perfect games. It seemed those first three group games for Italy, they hardly put a put, uh, put a foot wrong. I thought they were in control in the first half on the weekend as well, but it did seem to sort of fall apart in that second half. As, as you mentioned, there was the Arnautovic goal, which was just offside. I think Austria probably would have had a penalty as well had the player not been offside from the free kick. And again, that was very close as well. Um, what did you make of that second half, Francesco? Was it something that you're quite worried about moving forwards or was it more, you know, just the 45 minutes that, that went wrong, but Italy put it right in extra time? I agree with everything that Raphael said, really. Um, I think in a way, though, that second half could be quite positive. Um, I think the fact, and a few teams I think have found this in the tournament, the fact that Italy were quite heavy favourites going into the game, when you get into a situation where you haven't been able to score and you see, you know, Austria were playing, you, a lot of credit needs to go to Austria as well. I think they prepared the game perfectly. I think Ford had a really good, you know, game plan and he, he knew how to how to make things difficult for Italy. And in that second half, they, they probably deserved to take the lead, you know, when Onatovic scored that goal. Um, but I think when at, when you're heavy favourites and a team starts giving you problems, then you feel the pressure more. And I think going into the Belgium game, 
the whole mentality of Italy in terms of their preparation, in terms of how they approach the game and in terms of maybe being a bit, I, I don't want to say underestimating the opposition, but having a sense that you are superior and then possibly losing concentration, they probably, that probably won't happen in, in a game against, you know, whether they're facing the number one ranked team in the world. They know they have all these excellent players, some of which play in Serie A, so they know them well. Uh, you know, I imagine that tomorrow Italy will be extremely concentrated and I don't expect them to have that kind of almost um, quite emotional reaction to a difficult period in the game. Um, and also, I'm, you know, as Rafael said, the fact that they had players to come off of the bench and really change the game for them and the fact that they stuck with it and were able to turn things around in extra time, something that some of the other big sides in the tournament haven't been able to do. You know, Raphael mentioned France, and I think the French really struggled once Switzerland came back into the game. So it's good that, that the Italians were able to have that reaction and kind of come out on top. And I think tomorrow, the whole kind of mental side of the game is completely different because of how good a side Belgium are. Yeah, I think one of the main talking points from the game was Mancini's use of substitutions. I think this has caused a bit of debate. Obviously, Italy's two goals came from substitutes with Chiesa and Pessina in extra time. Raphael, do you think that Mancini made the subs at the right time or do you think perhaps he left it a bit too late? You know, Chiesa didn't come on until I think about the 83rd, 84th minute. If he'd have been a bit more proactive, could Italy have maybe got the game done in normal time rather than having to go to extra time? I feel like, you know, Chiesa and Pessina's impact was probably better against them, or at least it sort of packed more punch against a, an Austria side that was as tired as possible. I think that their, their impact wouldn't have been as great against, uh, you know, if if they'd come on in the sort of the 60th minute, so I think there is a there is a positive side to that to the to the timing of the substitutions. I feel like the Austrian manager, on the other hand, probably could have timed this better. I think um, Kalajdzic, the striker, could have come on a, a lot earlier than the 97th minute because clearly he had a, he had a great impact on the uh, on the forward line. And Arnautovic probably been burnt out since his. Uh, well, probably since the goal that, that was um, that was disallowed, so midway through the second half. So I feel like Austria, Austria slightly mismanaged the game in that sense. And I think in in the sort of in the substitutions department, I think Mancini aged it. So uh, not to mention Bellotti, whose whose impact was was brilliant. The way he was the way he was running back to put some tackles in and sort of works being a complete workhorse in that in that extra time period. So, yeah, I, th I think I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything to say about, about Mancini substitutions. I think he got them spot on. Yeah. I, I, I think he got them, got them right as well, but it, but it has caused a, a little bit of debate. Um, after games like this, where it did go wrong for 45 minutes, as we saw Francesco, there can be a bit of overreaction. As we know, Italy are playing Belgium on Friday night, Barella and, Verratti didn't have the greatest games. Both came off just after the hour mark. Are there places at threat, do you think, from the likes of Locatelli and Pessina? Would you like to see Chiellini come into the defence? And, and could Chiesa come in for Berardi? Or would you still trust that same sort of group of players that did so well in the group stage? You're right, Sam, that a lot of people have been talking about how maybe 
players like Pessina, players like Locatelli, guys who've, you know, and Chiesa who scored goals should be starting. I think one of the things that people were saying about the game was that there wasn't enough support for Immobile and having a player like Pessina coming from midfield or Chiesa coming off of the wing and joining in, you know, would give him a bit more support. But I personally would have the same starting uh, 11. Um, I think it's worked really well up until now. They were excellent in the group stage. And also I think Rafael made a really good point about how kind of the athletic nature of those two players, of Pessina and of Chiesa, coming off the bench when a team is tired has the potential to really have a big impact if the other team are tired. Um, so for me, you know, it's a, you know, Berardi, for example, who would be the player coming out for Chiesa. He was, it's, it's arguably, it's his best player in the group, certainly in the group stage, one of the best players. You know, I, I think, I, I still think that Berratti is Italy's best player and Barella has been so good for such a long time. And in terms of the matchup against Belgium as well, I think um, Belgium are probably superior to Italy on an athletic level. They've got some great athletes, obviously excellent footballers as well, but on athletic level, they're superior to Italy. Where Italy might have an edge is getting the ball down and playing it quickly and playing around the Belgians. And obviously players like Verratti, you know, they are integral to that kind of play. So I would personally play with the same formation. With Chiellini, it's a bit different. Um, I think if he's 100% fit, because of how well he's done against Lukaku in the past, I, I believe that playing with Bonucci, they've never conceded a goal against Lukaku. And because of you know his physicality, his, his street smarts, you know I think he knows how to play against a player like Lukaku, who's so difficult to play against. He knows how to get fouls. He knows when to foul. You know he's he's a smart guy, and having that kind of experience would make a big difference. But I would only play him if he is physically ready. If if he's struggling physically, I think you know then Acerbi, who did a pretty good job against Austria, should should be starting. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the formation there. I'm, I'm just going to stick with you briefly, Francesco, actually, for this one, because I know you mentioned in the group stage how Mancini did switch to a back three in one of in one of the games, just briefly. We saw earlier this week how England decided to match up with Germany and go for a three at the back, having previously gone with four throughout the group stage. Do you think there's a chance Mancini will match up with Belgium, or do you expect him to stick to his principles and go with the 4-3-3? I, I think that is very unlikely. I think the edge that Italy could have creating numerical superiority by, by playing with an extra midfielder in the middle and having the fullbacks overlap, especially you've seen it so much with Spinazzola on the left-hand side, that is where they're going to get their edge against, uh, against Belgium. Um, and even if, you know, if Chiesa came in, for example, he could cause a lot of problems by having to, by getting one of the Belgian centre-backs to come out and play against him if he can get beyond Torgan Hazard. So I think the 4-3-3 formation could give Italy an edge. I mean, you, you mentioned England. Uh, before the game, I thought that might have been a mistake by Gareth Southgate. And I think in the end, it worked out really well. But it's also because they are, England were able to match Germany on a physical level. I think in some of the areas of the pitch, if Italy kind of go man-to-man -man against Belgium, like I've mentioned already, Belgium probably have a, a greater athletic ability. So if you can beat them by having a man extra midfield and playing the ball around quickly and creating overlaps out wide, that's probably you know going to give Italy a big advantage. So I'd be very surprised if Mancini uh, changes formation for tomorrow's game. 
Yeah, I think the reason it worked well for England is because Germany have phenomenal full uh, wing backs in Kimmich and Gosens, and they needed to be, you know, neutralised. With Belgium, with Torgan Hazard and Mounier, who it will probably be. I'm not convinced they're quite as threatening, but you know, I could be wrong. Um, but we'll move. We'll look ahead to to Belgium now, Raphael. We obviously know who their key players are, but they've got a couple of injury concerns. De Bruyne obviously came off injured the other day, and Eden Hazard. Roberto Martinez has been sort of keeping his cards close to his chest, saying, oh, I'm not sure we'll take it day by day. Do you think there's a bit of mind games in that? Do you expect both to start? Maybe De Bruyne has a better chance of starting, given that Hazard seems to be a muscle injury. How do you expect Belgium to line up tomorrow? Yeah, it's hard to say because there has been a lot of um, a lot of talk about the sort of mind games, mind games going on. But I mean, the Ultimately, I you know I probably would expect both to start, considering just considering how important the game is. Um, unless obviously there is, their injuries are too uh, too uh, too extensive. But you know, I would I mean I'd hope I'd hope they start just for the sake of the of the quality of the game. I think it would just make it just generally make for a more interesting game. But at the same time, Belgium. The depth of their team is is just is is so impressive that they they can just bring on someone like Dries Mertens, who obviously the the Italy players will know well, to for one of those for, for one of those two players, and they'll you know they'll still play, not maybe not equally as well, but still to a very high standard. So I think Italy's preparations shouldn't necessarily hinge on whether either De Bruyne or Hazard are playing. I think. They should, you know, they should be pre- preparing to face a very, you know, a team that that attacks with a lot of quality and a lot of creativity going uh, going forward. Whoever whoever's whoever's in that team, I, I would agree that their wing backs are probably their weakest weakest point. I think Munier's had a has dropped off quite a lot since his uh, since his sort of peak. A few years ago at PSG, he doesn't seem to have had a good season at Dortmund, and his last season at PSG was quite average, and doesn't seem to be really regaining those levels at this um, at this tournament. So that is a potential side to attack for Italy. He's he's going to start on that on that right wing no matter what. So I think, yeah, I think Italy's preparation should really be be hinging on the players that they know that who are going to start. And on top of that, the fact that we know more or less what what Belgium's attacking patterns are going to be. Yeah, of course, Belgium have got to this stage uh, by knocking out the defending champions, Portugal, on Sunday night. Um, I think there were some doubts about how Belgium were defending in the group stage, particularly in that Denmark game, Francesco. They looked really vulnerable in the first half, but but they managed to get a shutout against Portugal. Do you, do you think they're really sort of coming into their peak now and 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 deserve to be seen as favourites going into this Italy clash? Um, I think they we probably haven't seen the absolute best of Belgium in this tournament yet. Um, I think against Portugal, you know, they did keep a clean sheet, but they did, Portugal did have quite a few chances in in the second half when they were chasing the game. Um, Having said that, I think, you know, it is going to be difficult to score against this Belgium team. And I think 
whoever starts up front for Italy, I imagine it's going to be Immobile, is going to have a difficult evening playing against those three centre-backs who are really experienced and, you know, physically and tactically excellent players. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the, one of the things Mancini's been saying is that Italy are going to be, is what, what he said in his press conference, Italy are going to, going to play their own game. They're going to play their own style. And, you know, during his tenure, that has been an attacking brand of football where you keep the ball a lot and try and press the opposition and keep them encamped in their own half. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think there's a chance that Italy could have a lot of possession. It's whether they're able to break down the the Belgian defence that's going to be interesting. And I also think that Belgian are, are the kind of side that are very dangerous on the counter-attack. We know about Lukaku's pace, obviously, and... To date in this tournament, Italy probably haven't played against a player with that kind of speed. Um, and there have been a couple of occasions in a few matches, even at the group stage where they played so well, where they look like they might be vulnerable to that kind of attack. So, yeah, all of that is going to be interesting to see what happens. Certainly will be. And, and I'll, I'll get your predictions towards the end of the episode. Um, but we've, we obviously we mostly focus on Italian football here, but we, we can't you know, leave the episode without talking about Monday night. And I'll, I'll come to you, Francesco. Obviously, I know you're, you're a proud Frenchman, so it might be a little bit difficult to talk to you. But, but what did you make of that chaotic France-Switzerland game? You know, the, the world champions getting knocked out on penalties, Mbappe missing the decisive penalty, arguments in the crowd. Uh, on, what, what, what do you make of all of it? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, I'm very, very disappointed, but I'm not that surprised. I, I think I was hinting at it uh, last week. I didn't think France really had what it took to to go all the way, unlike what a lot of pundits have been saying. And clearly, they clearly they that's what that's that's what happened. I think um, you know, Deschamps has been sort of tinkering a lot with um, with his formation way too much for a you know for a big tournament. You know, he switched to a to a three at the back. For some reason, on the uh, on the eve of the game, for no apparent reason, and uh, clearly we saw that in the first half hour of the game, it was a complete disaster. Um, I think then we switched back to to four at the back after the half hour mark because it just it just wasn't going that well. But I think by then the damage was done. I think um, you know we had a, we had a good period of sort of, of resurgence with the with the Benzema double. I think. Benzema's second goal, especially, was a brilliant piece of play. Like great control to uh, to bring forward a, what was a pretty average ball through from Mbappe, and then a great finish. So obviously that 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 was that was a positive spell of the uh, of the evening, and obviously a great goal from Pogba. But then I think that I think yeah, we just we just collapsed in the last ten minutes, and I think I mean once I mean once Switzerland equalised, it was over really. I think we. W- our heads were out of it, and there was only going to be one winner after that. Um, it felt it felt a lot like the uh, just when, when that when that third Switzerland goal went in, it felt a lot like the uh, the Eder goal in the final five years ago. Same sort of uh, same sort of distance as well, same sort of goal, and uh, yeah, same sort of impact. But yeah, ultimately, a, a lot of it was down to mentality as well. Um, obviously. You know, it's no secret that the French team. There's a lot of, there's usually a lot of drama behind the scenes. You know, not just not just this year, but 
pretty much in every French squad apart from the one that won the World Cup a few years ago. There's there's always there was always something going wrong behind the scenes, and we saw um I mean it sort of came to a head on Monday night of the sort of family members of the of the of the players having to go at each other. You know, Rabio's Rabio's mother especially had a had a lot to say, had a lot on her mind. But um, yeah. yeah, so and then obviously you had like players having to go at each other on the pitch as well, and it was just a, just it all collapsed really. And um, yeah, I think, but credit obviously credit to Switzerland, they had a, they played brilliantly, and I I wasn't really expecting expecting this sort of performance from them after sort of the drubbing they got from Italy, but. Clearly, I mean, clearly that shows that shows how good Italy are right now. But also, yeah, just how just how at sea France are, and I can only really hope that Deschamps leaves sometime soon. But that's he said that he's going to stay, and the uh, the federation don't really look like they're willing to pay his a uh, sort of severance pay. So it looks like we're going to have Deschamps until the World Cup, which yeah could go could go either way. To say the least. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing I wanted to ask you, actually, Raphael, about the France game. That Benzema goal, that touch. Do you think he meant it? Because there's bit I've seen a bit of debate about this. Bit uh, sort of compared to the Bergkamp touch against Newcastle. Did did he 100% mean it? Do you think, or is there a bit of luck involved? I think he saw the like, he saw the fact that he was going behind him quite late, and he sort of stuck his foot out to try and do what he could with it I think it's sort of he meant it but like I don't think he meant for it to go that well yeah it was it was pretty much perfect sort of, sort of 50-50 yeah um, but yeah as we say France are out and so that's a huge opportunity for the teams left in um, the game before that of course Francesco might have been an even better one I don't know what was the better game I just know that Monday night was the best evening of football I've seen in ages uh, we saw Spain Again, 3-1 up, they threw it away. But then, unlike France, they managed to get it back and win 5-3. What did you make of that game? We had crazy own goals. We had Morata finally finding his shooting boots. Uh, just a hectic evening, eh? Yeah, I mean, this this is the game that I said was going to be probably just going to be a nil-nil with people passing <laughs> around in midfield. So. Yeah. But, um, you know... It, <sighs> I feel like Spain are probably a little bit underrated at this stage. They've kind of had a messy tournament so far where they've had, you know, for example, the game against Sweden where they had nearly 90% possession, they couldn't score. And then these games where they've, back-to-back games where they've scored five goals, even though they conceded three. But I do feel like this result flattered Croatia a bit. If you think that, you know, one of the goals was amazing and goal start off with for Croatia. And then also the fact that Spain kind of panicked at the end and and just gave away those two goals. But overall, I feel like Spain are, are actually a much better side than Croatia. And I feel like they are getting their act together a bit. And I, I think they have a chance of winning the tournament there. I think um, their team is quite a nice mix of experience and youth you know they've got players like Pedri who looks like he's going to be a phenomenon you know for the next kind of 10-15 years and they've got players like Busquets and and a real mix you know Jordi Alba for example 
and players like Morata, who's also got loads, loads of experience and, and done things in Europe for, for kind of 10 years. You know, I think he's been very harshly criticised in this tournament. Um, he's, you know, he scored a great goal and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on to score more. Um, I think they're going to be heavy favourites in their next game. And yeah, I think things are, are looking pretty good for Spain, actually. Yeah, it did seem to go well for the Morata, as you say, getting on the score sheet. He did seem to be getting very frustrated during the game there. His his battle with Coletta Char, uh, I thought at least one of them was going to get sent off at one point, but disappointingly not. Um, so that's that side of the draw. And then on the other side of the draw, I think the, the biggest game from that side of the draw this week was was the England-Germany game, Raphael. Um, you know, last weekend when I asked you to call it, I don't think either of you were that confident either way, but England managed to come out on top with a 2-0 win, two goals in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes. What, what did you make of England's performance? I wasn't surprised by the fact that they, you know, they came through. I think um, I think a lot of people were overrating this Germany side a bit. Um, you know, if you if if you lose to France and clear, you're not that good. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think England have shown that they are probably the most solid team in the, left in the uh, left in the tournament, just in terms of having a, a clear game plan and being able to execute it very well. I think um, you know clearly they're the best. I think they are the best defense in the. Uh, so left in the uh, left in the tournament, I don't think anyone else has kept. Uh, yeah, I think I think they're the only team left who uh, who haven't conceded yeah, a right. goal. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I, I think they've got all the makings of a uh, you know to go all the way, and we saw that we saw that really on the you know in the game. I think towards the end Germany were sort of pushing to to equalise, but England, you know, they they. They bided their time and they took their chance at the end to to, to score the second goal. So, I think I think overall, you know, it's not it's not that surprising because you know German football is at a bit of a crossroads right now, and obviously, um, Joachim Löw is gonna is is I mean, yeah he's already, he's already left, and that sort of golden generation from twenty fourteen is sort of slowly slowly leaving. Whereas England, with England, you have sort of a you know, a more a more youthful, a more more energetic team for a lot more, I guess, a lot more exciting players uh, coming to the fore. You've got the likes of Sancho, the likes of Grealish, uh, the likes of Phillips as well, who's I think he's sort of announcing himself to to Europe so far in this tournament. And obviously, um, Saka, and then you've got Sterling, who's sort of his, his world class best. So, yeah, I think. I wasn't. I was really surprised by the by the result. Even if I was a bit, you know, I was a bit sort of uh, hesitant before the game because you never, you know, even if it's not it's not the uh, the Germany side of old, it is still Germany, and they can still spring a spring a surprise or two. So, yeah, I think England did show that they are the, probably the favourites to go all the way now. Yeah, and of course, England will next be playing Ukraine, who who came through against Sweden, another game that went to extra time, Francesco. I was quite impressed by Ukraine, who who didn't look that great in the group stage, but they look pretty good here. I think the main talking point from this game, though, was the red card. Um, you know, there's been a bit of talk, obviously, that uh, Danielson got the ball first, but then 
followed through and caught um I don't I can't remember which Ukrainian player it was now actually um but caught him right by the knee actually it looks really bad slowed down do you think it was deserving of a red card or do you think it was a case where slow motion makes it seem a lot worse than it actually was um these these kinds of situations are really difficult to comment on um I think the rules of the game say you have to be in control of your body and I've, I, I think it's Bezadin who, who got tackled and I think he's going to miss six months now out through injury. And, you know, I know that the, in, a player being injured doesn't mean that he's been fouled, but I suppose this is the kind of tackle that we don't really want to see, probably, in my opinion. Um, so I haven't really got that much of a problem with it being a red card. Um you know, I mean, you can look at it both ways. He got the ball, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. Yeah, I, I I think it probably was a red card, but but I do think there's been a, a bit of an overreaction as to how bad it actually was, and I I don't think it was deliberate at all. That was my personal opinion. You actually tipped Ukraine, didn't you? Raphael? What did you make of of their performance against Sweden? And and do you give them a you know a decent chance of springing another surprise against England, or or do you expect England to come through that one? I think England is maybe a step too far for them, but. Uh, yeah, I wasn't surprised by their performance. They've probably been... Yeah, they were disappointing against Austria. So I think that was... Um, that was sort of... Uh, yeah, that, that I think they recovered well from that. But in the, generally speaking, they've been a very clinical side, um, a very defensively solid side. They've got... They've got a right, like a lot of um, you know a lot of very creative players who can who can make something out of nothing. We saw Yarmolenko. We've seen Yarmolenko throughout the tournament be be very lethal on a, on his right wing, and um, obviously they've got like some Malinovsky as well, uh, Zinchenko, who's sort of established players who can you know who, who have top level experience and can and can do well. So I, I mean I I. Wouldn't tip them to beat England because yeah, that I do think that is a step too far. But I don't think they'll they won't necessarily ridicule themselves. I think they'll they'll put in a very good performance. I think um, Shevchenko has clearly done a very good side, a good job with this side. And um, yeah, I think a quarter final finish is very good for this um for this Ukraine side. And I think it's uh yeah no it's I think. It, I would have liked. I would have liked, I think if they'd come up against, um, you know, Czech Republic or Denmark or uh, pretty much any of the other teams left in the tournament, I think they would have maybe had a chance. But I think this the this England team is too defensively compact for them to really break through. And I think the the quality of England's attack is on another level to that of Sweden. Even if Forsberg had a very good uh, game and he's had a very good tournament, actually, overall. But, yeah, England's England are just a different proposition. So, unfortunately, it does look like Ukraine are going are gonna to crash out. Yeah, that'll be the last quarterfinal on Saturday night. And the one just before it would be Denmark against Czech Republic. We saw Denmark were actually the first team to get through from the last 16 Francesco they beat Wales 4-0 and 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 have been really impressive I think for most of this tournament after as we all know a, a really awful start for them to the tournament um 
you know, with their results, but also, of course, with the Christian Eriksen incident. Do you think they are probably the only team that can stop England making the final, possibly? I, you know, I agree with Raphael in that England are quite heavy favourites, I'd say, to get to the final now. Um, having said that, I, I think that Ukraine and Denmark have shown quite a bit in this tournament. You know, it's not a given that England beat them. I think if uh, if England are to get to the final, they still need to show up and play against these sides. And I think out of the two, it feels like Denmark are kind of rolling the crest of the wave a little bit. I think that the what happened with Ericsson has kind of galvanised the team. And they're, they're quite an interesting prospect as well. You know, I really like Damsgaard. We obviously know him quite well because he plays in Serie A. I think Hoiberg's having a great tournament. A little bit, the fact that Ericsson isn't there has made some of the other players kind of step up, I think. And I was reading somewhere, I think they've they've had the most shots on target out of anyone in the competition. So they they are, you know, they're a threat. Um, but yeah, having said all of that, I still think that, you know, it is it's kind of England's final to lose. I think they they are the heavy favourites. But, you know, you never know. And there, there have been other surprises in this tournament so far. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, of course, Denmark have scored four goals in back-to-back games now. So looking very good going forward in particular. Um, but as you said, there have been some surprises. And I think, you know, maybe, I was about to say maybe the biggest one, but I think Switzerland beating France was the biggest one. But the next biggest one was Czech Republic knocking out Netherlands on Sunday, Raphael. Um, do you think the game completely turned on the delict red card? And and, and what, did, what did you make of that? Were you impressed with Czech Republic or a little difficult to tell because they were playing against 10 men for that last sort of half an hour or so? I think the, obviously the red card had a big had a big impact on the uh, on the game, but I think I'm I'm not too I'm not surprised that um, that they went through. Actually, I think you know the Netherlands have looked quite quite shaky actually uh, defensively, really in their last few uh, since since the start of the tournament. They've had periods where the, even with eleven men, they've been they've been quite uh, quite shaky. I mean. For example, that that's that ten minutes spell against Ukraine where they were they were pegged back, but I mean the the Czech Republic in in general have probably been the sort of the surprise of the tournament in a way just by how uh, by how not many not many people seem to seem to rate the team uh, or at least their chances of going through and clearly they've they've impressed a lot of people. I think Patrick Schick especially. Uh, especially for Serie A fans, you know they'll they've been surprised by how how well he's done at this tournament. He has stepped up, um, and stepped up and sort of, you know, shown a very good shown a very good run of form. Not just in in terms of goal scoring, but generally as as someone who you know who leads the line and steps up, uh, steps up and takes takes responsibility. I mean, um, his uh, I mean him, so he I mean I think he would be sort of the uh. He spear he spearheaded their their success so far, but obviously there are a lot of good uh, a lot of good players in that team that we that we know from uh, from Serie A like uh, like Antonin Barak who had a very good season with uh, or half season with um, with Hellas. So yeah, I think I think the Czech Republic definitely deserved to go for. I think Frank de Boer as as Netherlands boss 
never really uh, never really really got much out of the out of the team per se I think it's not I think it'll be interesting to see actually what uh, what the next Netherlands coach does with this team because clearly considering the uh, sort of the emerging talents in that team and the fact that they've got a very very solid defense with the likes of the Ryan the Lick that we know from uh, from Syria there's a lot more to be done with that team and you'd hope that they can spring back at the, at the World Cup because it would be a shame if these things, if these players didn't go on to to really achieve something more. Yeah, of course, you know, and with Van Dyke coming back, that could be a really good back three if they do continue to go with with a back three moving forwards. Um, as you said, Frank Frank de Boer's now been um, uh, relieved of his duties, and so we'll see who the next coach is going to be. Um, but I'm going to end the episode as I did last week with some quick fire predictions from you guys. So, uh, Francesco, I'll come to you first. The first uh, quarter final will be Spain, Switzerland. Uh, how do you see that one playing out? I think Spain uh, are going to win that match. Um, I think Switzerland can give them a game, but I think I expect, uh, I expect to see Spain in the semi-finals. Yeah, of course, it will take a massive effort for Switzerland to back up that France win as well. Um, and then we go to Belgium, Italy. What do you think, Raphael? Really tough one to call, I think, this one. Uh, who are you going with? I'd like to see Italy win, but I don't think... I think it's going to be a step too far. I think it's going to be a close win in, uh, in Belgium's favour. How about, how about you on that one, Francesco? I'll get your opinion on that as well. Well, I just hope Raphael's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, you're not going to draw me, Sam. I'm afraid, but yeah, I really hope Rafael is wrong. Yeah, we shall see. Um, and then on to Saturday, we start with Denmark, Czech Republic. Are you back in Denmark to continue their their fairy tale story? Yeah, I think I think Denmark are a better side than Czech Republic. I mean, it it could be close, and Rafael's right to underline how well Czech Republic have got to have done to get here, but. As I've said, the, the Danes are looking good and like you say, they're scoring loads of goals. So, yeah, I expect Denmark to come through. And then we finish up with England, Ukraine. You've been tipping England to get that win, Raphael. You're pretty convinced they'll, they'll make the semis? Yeah, I think England should have too many issues. It won't be a, a drubbing, but because I think Ukraine are a very solid team anyway. But, yeah, I don't, I don't see anything past, uh, past an England win here. Okay, well, we'll see. We, we saw a couple of upsets in, in the last round, so we might get some in the quarterfinals. You never know. <clears throat> Certainly something to look forward to over the next couple of days. Thanks, you, thanks, guys, for joining me as always. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you soon after, after the quarterfinals. Okay, bye-bye.